0: Gracious God, we thank you that you are not silent, that you still speak, you speak to your people through your word, and we pray for your Holy Spirit now to open our ears to your word, our minds, give us wills to obey what you have to teach us. We pray in Jesus' name, for his sake, his glory, amen. amen. You can be seated. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter. Uh, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday wear red, celebrate together the symbolism of the Holy Spirit and pray that the reality of the Holy Spirit would fill this place in our hearts next Sunday on Pentecost Sunday. But I want to reflect on the ascension of Jesus Christ uh, this morning. Um, We often, I don't think, think about the ascension of, and the exaltation of Jesus. But we say it in our creeds every Sunday that um, Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And from there he will come again to judge in the living and the the dead. This is part of our faith. So what does it mean that Christ is ascended? What does it mean for us that he's ascended and exalted? That's what I want to talk about today, primarily from... um, our text in Ephesians. But I do want to touch on uh, the truth that uh, Jesus Christ went away, and as he was going away, he said that he was going to send the promise of the Father. We read that in our Gospel reading. So the, the risen Christ, the ascended Christ, pours out his Spirit on the church so that the church can continue to do the mission of God that Christ had given them to do. So he goes away, And that makes room for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, we'll celebrate that next week on Pentecost Sunday. So that's one of the benefits of the ascension, is the gift and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But I want to focus on something else here again, uh, mainly on the last three verses of Ephesians 1. So if you want to look at that in your bulletin, that might be helpful as just a reference point. And Paul says in Ephesians 1.20 that he, that is God, worked in Christ. He's talking about the power that's available to believers, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is in the context of a prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. It's a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of petition. He thanks God for the work that has already been done in their life. In the first verses of Ephesians, he thanks God that they have been elected, that they have been called, that they have been predestined, that they have been marked out, that they who are once in spiritual darkness have been brought into light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he thanks God that when they heard the word of the gospel, they believed in Jesus, and then they've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and now they have a glorious inheritance with the saints. That's what precedes this section. So he's thanking God for that, and then he's petitioning God that they would know in a greater way, in a deeper way, the hope and the power that's available to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope and power. And that's really what I want to say about the ascension and the exaltation of Jesus. That because our Lord has ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, we as believers can live in this life with hope and with power. Now, I don't know if you saw that this week there was a report that came out from the Pew Research Group, and it was in a lot of different media outlets, that there's a, a decline in Christian affiliation in the United States. and. Um, I think every seven years or so, the Pew Pew, uh, Research Group does this massive survey. I think it's over 30,000 people that they survey. And it showed that, according to this latest poll, that uh, Christianity has fallen by uh, 7% people saying that they affiliate as Christians since the last survey. So um, it was 78% in uh, 2007, and now it's 71% of the population, still a huge majority that identifies Christians. But, on the other hand, there is, so there's a drop, and then on the other hand, there's a rise in those who claim non-affiliation. Atheists, agnostics, non-affiliated. And it's 22% of the population. And according to Pew, that's a greater share than those who identify themselves as Roman Catholic. And under the age of 30, for people who are under the age of 30... That group of the nuns, as they call them, N-O-N-E-S, that group is growing, and it's like one in three, one, uh, about 30% or so. So maybe that's a generational thing. Maybe you know that, that happens. There are these patterns that happen. But the truth is that, that we are living in an increasingly, the trend line is we're living in an increasingly secular culture, uh, a, 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 a culture that's increasingly more unchurched. More people are embracing agnosticism and atheism. And some people are just throwing their hands up and say, I don't know what to believe, but I I don't affiliate with any religious group. So we have our work cut out for us. It's not an occasion for hand-wringing, I don't think. It's not an occasion for defensiveness. We have our work cut out for us as the Church of Jesus Christ. But the starting point is to remember who we belong to the risen, ascended, exalted Lord Jesus. And if we keep our hearts and minds focused on Christ and who he is, then we'll be able to carry on with the mission and be faithful to the mission that he's given us to do in the face of great obstacles. And so what I want to do is just look at these verses in uh, Ephesians to talk about the meaning of Christ ascended and exalted. I want to consider the position of our Lord Jesus the power, and then the privilege of being his people. The position, the power, and the privilege. So let's look at what Paul says in verse 20 about the position where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. This is the place of highest authority and power in the universe. He's seated at the right hand of the creator and sustainer of all things. And of course there are Plenty of references in the Old Testament to the Messiah who would be seated at the right hand of God the Father. Psalms 110, Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, David says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. The Lord, Yahweh, David says, said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. The right hand is a place of authority, of executive authority. If you were... A king in the ancient world, your right-hand man would be your chief executive, so to speak. And your authority would flow through him, would be delegated to him. And so that's where Jesus is. He is in the place of highest authority. And I wonder in your life, who is the most authoritative person you've ever met? Think about it for a moment. The most powerful person you've ever met. I haven't really met too many powerful people, I guess said something about my, my social standing in life. But um, I remember reading Chuck Colson's biography. He was, uh, I think, the chief of staff in the Nixon administration, which didn't work out too well for him in the long run. But um, he, he writes about this in his biography the first time he met the president of the United States, and he was called into the Oval Office at the age of 38. And he says this, I'm going to quote here. As I stepped for the first time into that sun-filled, stark white, curving-walled room, my heart was beating so hard I wondered if it could be heard. I walked over a huge blue and oval, gold oval-shaped rug, which had the seal of the United States embroidered in the center. Just to be in that room was exciting enough, but here I was alone with the President of the United States, the single most important and powerful man in the world. And so Chuck Chuck Colson's talking about almost being overwhelmed by the authority of this person. Well, as Christians, our Lord Jesus is in a place of greater authority than the White House, than any palace, than any CEO's executive suite. He is at the right hand of the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And the incredible thought is that because our Lord is there, and this, of course, is symbolic language, that he's in this place of authority because God is spirit, doesn't literally have a right hand, right? But because he's there in the presence of the creator and sustainer of the universe, if we are in him, we have access to God the Father. We have access to this authority. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says um, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4. He talks about what a comfort it is to know that Jesus, our ascended great high priest, is in the throne room of God. And because he's in the throne room of God, we can draw near to the throne. Listen to what uh, the writer of Hebrews says. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. See, he's writing to people who are tempted to fall away. But he's saying, don't forget what you have in Jesus Christ. He has passed through the heavens. He's ascended. And we do not have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect who's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows what we're going through. Whatever weaknesses we face, whatever temptations and trials, the Lord Jesus has been there and has gone through it. And then he says this, Let us then... In light of the fact that our high priest is at the right hand of God, is in the throne room, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Christ is in this place of greatest authority and we are in Christ, we have access to the throne room of god we may never get access into the white house we may never walk into the oval office but we can have access to the very throne room of god through jesus christ and we can come to him in prayer with all of our needs and things will happen that's the thing about authority authority authorizes authority gets things done and as we come into the throne room of grace through our high priest, Jesus, and we have access to him, God will do things in his own time, in his own way, but we can go with confidence knowing that he hears and he cares and things will happen in accordance with his will. And so Christ is in this great position. It gives us privileged access to God. And this is a position of greatest authority and power. There's no greater power Than the ascended Christ. Look at what Paul says in verse 21. That Christ is seated far above all rule. And authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but in the age to come. Because he's in this place of highest authority. He has highest power. And Paul wants these Ephesians to remember this. Because they're in a place Ephesus where there's a great spiritual battle going on. Um, These are pagan Gentiles. They've come out of paganism into the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they're living in the shadow of paganism in Ephesus. The the, the temple to this uh, goddess Artemis, or Diana, was there in Ephesus. And so they lived under the shadow of this temple. Now this temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And according to what I read, there's something like it was supported by something like 127, I think, columns all around. It. So you can just get in your mind this massive place, like Bush Stadium maybe, maybe not quite that big, but it just it overwhelmed the city. And one scholar said that in Asia Minor, This temple to Artemis was the center of magic arts. Exorcisms would be performed there. Rituals, sacrifices to this goddess Artemis. There's a whole priesthood, priestess, cult that was developed around this temple. It had enormous economic implications for Ephesus. People would come there, tourists would come there. People would do trading while they were there. And you can see the conflict that Paul has with us in the book of Acts. As he began to preach the gospel in Ephesus, it started to tear down what was happening spiritually in the temple of Ephesus to this goddess Artemis and the townspeople, and especially the people who were producing these little coins and idols who were starting to become afraid because the gospel of Jesus Christ was pushing out the spiritual darkness. But Paul wants these Ephesians to know here they are, in the midst of this battle, the spiritual battle, that there's no power greater than Jesus Christ. There's no power greater. You, he, he says in, in Ephesians 6:12, this is where he talks about a spiritual warfare. We're, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, or rulers or authorities against cosmi- we're, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So Paul is saying, "I recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on, but I want you to remember who has the power. Who is the name above all names? Who is the name greater than Artemis? Who is the name above any other name? The one who has defeated death, hell, and the grave is your Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that today. And in, in the in the pagan uh, context that the, these early Christians were in, this was very attractive because pagan religion said that you had to appease these spirits." these spirits had control over your life, and so you perform the sacrifice to appease the spirits. And there were people who were enslaved, they felt, by demonic powers, and they were. And, and so they would try to do these exorcisms. Now, it's interesting that in the 2nd century, there's a Christian church father named Justin Martyr who was writing to a non-Christian, and he's trying to convince the non-Christian of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this, he says, For every demon that we exercise as Christians in the name of the Son of God, every demon that we exercise in the name of the Son of God is overcome and subdued. But when you try to exercise a demon, you do not overcome him. He's still powerful. But in the name of Jesus, we exercise demons and they're subdued. And many people came into the church because they experienced this liberating freedom of the power of Jesus Christ. It's a message we need to preach and hear today in our culture. There are people trending back in to pagan practices. Astrology, psychics, Wicca, witchcraft. But there's also people who seem to be caught in a grip. Something that's stronger than them. Addiction, fear, great depression, darkness. And we as the Church of Jesus Christ can say there's a power that's greater. And you can have freedom in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ascended and exalted. So his position, his power, and then finally his people. Paul closes the section by talking about the church of the ascended Christ. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ isn't present with us bodily, but he does have a body on earth. And that's us. That's the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's the church that is filled with his presence. I think that's what he means by the fullness of him who fills all and all. He's saying that the church is filled by Christ who fills everything, but specifically and specially the church, the gathering of those who are in Christ, Jew and Gentile, now coming together as the holy temple of God through the Holy Spirit. That's what he says in chapter 2, verse 22. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul wants these Ephesians, and he wants us to get a sense of the privilege of being part of the people of God. That this is a high privilege and a high calling that God has reached out to us in our spiritual darkness and called us together to be together, the body of Christ. It's a privilege. It's a high calling when we serve one another, when we pray for one another, when we preach and teach and where, where the sacraments are rightly administered, when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is at work through his body. He's not left us through the Spirit and through the church, he's still reaching people. Now, the church, of course, is not Christ. <laughs> the pastor is certainly not Christ. Don't make that mistake. He's called to represent Christ. But he's the head. You catch that? He is the head. God has given him as the head of the church. He is the authority of the church. And we're to continually to live under his authority. I am continually called to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. I remember talking to somebody who's a member of her congregation. She was talking about her journey in different churches at one season of her life. She said she went to one church, and she observed, and she'd been going to this church for a couple of weeks and attending the adult Sunday school class. And she said, I I started picking up that they never talk about Jesus. They're talking about all these issues, but there's no reference to Jesus. And so she said, I started quoting from the Gospels. Well, but I think Jesus might have something to say here about this. And then afterwards, the, the Sunday school teacher pulled her aside and said, well, don't do that here. Don't talk about Jesus here. That's not the kind of church that says, well, guess what? not a church. Though. It's not living under the authority of the head. It's a headless body. not functioning dead here. It might be a social group, But we're called to live under the authority of the risen, ascended, exalted Savior, Jesus Christ the name above all of their names. You know, we hear that the church is declining. Membership is down, and Americans are increasingly becoming more secular. And all that's true, but God can reverse it just like this if he wants to. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And there are parts, places in this world where the kingdom is expanding rapidly. Africa is a place... Where the kingdom of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is expanding rapidly. We know that through our connection with Kenyans and Rwandans and folks that come here and speak about what God is doing there. God is still on the move. When we were in um, Denver in February with Bruce Walkey, and I've referred to this a couple of times, and I teased at 9 o'clock, I think, and this is like my fourth time talking about Bruce Walkey's talk uh, to the clergy in, November, or in, in February in Colorado uh, in Denver. So this this is it. There's a statute of limitations. I'm not going to bring up Ruth Walking anymore. He's an Old Testament teacher, but I really got a lot of mileage out of this talk. Maybe I need to get out more. I don't know. But you know, he said he went to uh, South Korea and preached there, and that's, this is what he was. His point was, God is on the move. The kingdom's still growing. Don't take what's happening here in America as the full picture. He said I was in a church in Seoul, South Korea. And uh, there was 14,000 people there on a Sunday. 4,000 people in the choir alone. Imagine, God is at work. That would be a considerable kind of, in- that would be nice, wouldn't it? Just to have a, like a 0.5% of that maybe. The church in, in America might get smaller, might get poor, but it's still going to be his body. We still have a mission. Offering the hope of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, healing and peace with God. Eugene Peterson, I'll close with this, tells a story he's, uh, of one of his grandsons who got up on his lap one day and said, Grandpa, tell me a story and put me in it. Tell me a story and put me in it. That's what the, Paul the Apostle is doing here. He's telling these Ephesians, he's telling us the story, the true story. God reigns. Through Jesus Christ, he is reigning. He is still at work. He is still pouring out his spirit on the church. This is our story, and God, by his mercy, has put us in it. This is our hope. This is the power that's available to us. And we're called to live in this power and hope to the glory of God. Amen. Lord, we do pray that you'd help us us to do that. Whether we look at the place culturally where Christianity is right now, maybe look at our own lives and our own neediness, maybe some places in our life where there's fear and pain and suffering and doubt. Help us to remember your story, which is the true story, Help us to remember, Lord Christ, where you are and who you are. Thank you that you reign. We don't see it fully here, but our hope is that one day we'll see it fully. Our faith will become sight. So help us to live in that hope and in the power of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.